Welcome to another Solid Rock Church podcast by Bishop Larry Ragland, Senior Pastor of Solid Rock Church. For more information and content, please visit solidrockchurch.com. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and you have a blessed day. Stand up on your feet, grab your Bible. We're going to speak some things over our heart right now. It's what we call our confession. We make a confession because we want to make sure the Lord knows that our hearts are ready, our minds are ready. We want to have a teachable spirit. So hold your Bible up high and let's say it together. I believe in the Bible. I believe I am everything it says I am. I believe I can do everything it says I can do. I have worshiped and I have prepared my heart to hear from the Lord. I have a teachable spirit. I am ready to be changed by the Word. I realize I have been called and anointed for this moment. I am part of the remnant. I am ready in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a shout of praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 I've been saying this every week. I want to say it again. It is time for you to take ownership of the moment. Somebody say that with me. I will take ownership of this moment. If not, why, why, why would you even be a part of anything that's spiritual if you ain't going to take ownership of it? You are alive. You are still breathing. You are still going to church serving God. You are still uh, being able. You're, you're in a church where, the God is, where God is moving, where miracles are happening. Why in the world would you ever sit on the sidelines? Take ownership of this moment. Take ownership of the fact that God chose you. He trusted you to be alive in this moment. That's something to be excited about. Amen. Well, today, if the Lord lets me do it, if the Lord lets me do it, I'm going to, this is going to be the last day of the last part of this series. In fact, I've been trying to preach the last part of this series for the last three weeks. And every time I try to preach it, Holy Ghost breaks out and preaches for me. But today, it looks like he's going to let me preach it. And that is, this, believe it or not, this part five of full circle. I've been talking about full circle. That God told me back, back in June and solidified it the first week of July in Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take your church. I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take, take everything that you know full circle. I'm going to begin to take you back to some places 20, 30, even 30 plus years ago. And I'm going to remind you of the promises that I made you. That you've let go. That I've not let go. How many knows God is faithful to complete it? We're not always faithful to wait on it. But His desire is to complete it. But not only is He going to take me back and remind me of the promises that He made me. He's going to remind me of the promises I made Him. Because there are some things that I declared that I would do for God, that I believed that I would do for God, that I'm still not even walked in 30 plus years later. But I'm still breathing. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's preaching about you too. Uh-huh. If there's breath in your body, God's not through with you. And just because things didn't work out the way you thought they was going to work out, that doesn't mean that God still does not want to accomplish in you what he said he wanted to accomplish in you. Do I have a church this morning that's going to help me preach? 
So I've said it all along in this series, and I'm going to say it again. If you want to know God's will for your life and for the body of Christ, then all you have to do is see how he began anything regarding man. Because I'm talking about not just, not, I'm not talking about stories in the Bible. The stories that are in the Bible after Genesis chapter 3, all the way up in Acts chapter 2, are the stories of how man is trying to navigate through a world that they messed up. Now you see grace, you see mercy, you see the will of God throughout all of their lives, but you see the will of God responding to the stupidity of humanity. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. So you can't go back and see how he responded to Moses or how he responded to Samson or how and 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 these are all the will of God these are all God's examples that we can use to understand how God works but you can't use those stories to find God's perfect will for your life you have to find, you have to go back to the beginning because God will always start it the way he wants it to end are y'all hearing me? He determines the end from the beginning. So we took you back for the last few weeks to the Garden of Eden. We showed you in Scripture, God lays out dominion of man. Lays out the order of the family. Lays out marriage between one man and one woman. Lays out sons and daughters. Lays out male and female. Explains pronouns. Helps you understand identity. Order. Okay, so that's the will of God. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to them. Watch them. That's the will of God for mankind. We know that because that's how he started mankind. Right? Well, if we understand the principle that God always starts it, not only the way He wants to end it, but starts it the way He always wants it to continue. Because the moment you walk out of the way God started it, you're not in the will of God. Because God will never start something that is, how's the word I'm looking for, that is bendable and moldable, as you decide to bend it and mold it. He will share His glory with no one. He doesn't need your opinion. In fact, He's never asked you for your opinion on what His will is for you. He's already said, He said, you want to know my opinion? I've already gave you my opinion. So if that's the case, if we understand the principle that God does not insert a plausible, organic clause in His creation that He gives permission to change as culture changes. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. He doesn't put in His will, this is my will for this generation, but I'm willing to negotiate with the next one. I wonder if this microphone is working. God does not need you to try to negotiate with Him. 
Woo, this is good preaching already. And I ain't even to my introduction. So if that's the case for humanity, then it also has to be the case for the church. You don't go back to uh, the children wandering in the wilderness to see the will of God for the New Testament church. In fact, if I could help you a little bit, you don't even go to the writings of Paul. You don't go to Romans. You don't go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You don't go to Galatians or Ephesians. Those are epistles and letters that were written by men of God to teach you the principles of doctrine and how to operate and carry yourself as the body of Christ and as the church. In fact, if I could preach a little bit this morning, I would tell you that if you want to understand the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, if you want to understand the the will of God of how the Holy Ghost, He, he wills that the Holy Ghost is interacting with you in your life, you don't necessarily go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he lists the gifts of the Spirit. You don't go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he teaches the regulation of the gifts. Those are post how you operate with them once they happen in your life. Once he moves in your life. If you want to understand what happens when the Holy Ghost comes on you and baptizes you in his Spirit, There's only one place in all of Scripture, in all of 66 books, that that is recorded. There's only one place in all of Scripture that the beginning of the church is recorded. Am I, God, anybody's going to help me. It's not in Galatians. It's not in Revelation. It's not, oh, come on. It's only, and not only is it not only in one book. We, we learn in that book uh, about what happened the early days of the church and how they, how they interacted with each other. But I'm talking more specifically about there's only one place. and I, In fact, only just a few verses in, in, in the end of one chapter and the beginning of another chapter that breaks down exclusively what God did and how He did it when He started the church. Oh, some of y'all think, y'all, I'm going to go eat right now. I know what he's going to preach today. No, you don't. Look at your neighbor and tell him what goes around comes around. See, God is taking the church full circle. I've got to make a few statements. Are y'all ready? I've stated this before and I will say it again. If you want to know God's will for anything, look at the beginning of it. God, listen to me. You might want to write this down and take a note. God never starts anything and hopes to improve on it later. Oh, you didn't get it. God has never started or created anything with hopes that one day he will improve on his creation. In fact, God never improves or evolves 
on anything. I'm giving y'all some tweetable moments right now. Here's another one. In God, there is no room for improvement. When God makes something, at the moment He makes it, at the moment He creates it, there is no room for improvement. The only thing that can happen in that creation is digression. You can never get better on your own than what God made you. He never improves and he never evolves on anything. And if anything I'm sick of hearing about, and I'm not even talking about the creation of this world and evolution, I, it's, it started there. It started there teaching us uh, that we all come from monkeys and everything, but, what, but all that really was was setting us up for spiritual evolution. As dangerous is as the doctrine of of natural evolution can be. I'm not, I'm not saying that if you believe in any form of evolution that you're evil or demonic. That's not what I'm saying. I, I, God can do anything He wants to do. You can believe whatever you want to believe on that. But I'm just telling you right now, that's another sermon for me to preach another day. I don't want to get on that rabbit trail. But I'm going to tell you this, that, that the, the more dangerous doctrine is a spiritual evolution. That you can evolve spiritually into uh, a, a spiritual being. What, one, of the, one of the biggest things that is, uh, uh, is, is an insult against God is when you ask somebody if they're a believer or a Christian and they respond, I, well, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a spiritual person. I'm, I'm very spiritual. I'm day, what, have you asked, you're dating somebody, are, have you, uh, what, what do, you, do you know anything about their salvation? I mean, are you, are you sure you want to get into a relationship with him? Are you sure you want to get into a relationship with her? Well, I'll tell you what, I believe the Lord's really working them because they're, very, they're a very spiritual person. Well, do you understand demons are spiritual? Oh, I'm preaching, buddy, you shout. Now watch this. The spiritual evolution has now spilled over to the church to where now we've evolved to the point that if we want to reach someone who has a sexual identity other than what God said we're supposed to have, then the way we do it is to ordain pastors in that lifestyle Have drag queens lead praise and worship. I'm not preaching hate speech up here. I'm just saying things that nobody else wants to say. And you have to ask yourself, if you are very uncomfortable with what I just said, if you are very uncomfortable with a pastor saying something like I just said, you need to not worry about me. You need to ask yourself, why are you so uncomfortable with what I just said? You do you and I'll do me. I'm not preaching hate here. I'm preaching the Bible. And I'm preaching a Bible that I don't have a right to improve, amend, or evolve. Yeah, 
we are the ones who mess it up. Then we have to improve to get it back to the original. When we come out of the pandemic, everybody's talking about the new normal. The new normal. I preached a message called, The New Normal is a return to the discarded values of the past. The things that seem new to us is not new. You see a revival breaking out in the church and people start speaking in tongues. They'll be like, my God, God's doing a new thing. What? Speaking in tongues is not a new thing. Laying hands on the sick is not a new thing. Casting out devils is not a new thing. Dancing before the Lord with all your might is not a new thing. Come on, clapping your hands, all you people, is not a new thing. Shouting unto God is not a new thing. There is nothing new under the sun. My it's just us trying to get back to what we left. And I'm going to read a scripture in just a minute so y'all think I'm really preaching. God would have never started. Listen to me. Get this in your spirit. God would have never started the church and then thought one day, he would not need it anymore. Let me help you know what I'm saying. God would have never started the church the way he started and decide later that that really wasn't the model that was going to reach the final and the greatest generation to ever exist. Well, let's read it. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, verse 3. The book of Acts is the book I was talking about a while ago in case y'all didn't figure it out. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus. Why does it start that way? This is a continuation of the book of Luke. This was written by, the book, by, by Luke, and this was all one letter. Luke and Acts was all one letter. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both, say it with me, do and teach. It's very important you get that in your spirit. I've been writing about all that Jesus did and taught until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments. Somebody say commandments. How I many of those commandments are not suggestions? To the apostles of whom he had chosen to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, listen to this, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He breathed his last breath and said, It is finished. They took his naked body down off that cross. They wrapped him up in a, in a cloth. They put him in a borrowed tomb and sealed the rock, oh, this tomb. Three days later, the stone was rolled away. Can I get an amen? Jesus was alive, showed himself to Mary, showed himself to his disciples. But he didn't just check out. He stayed for 40 days. And he walked around for 40 days in glory form. And that's what Luke is talking about. Let me tell you what he did during those 40 days. 40 represents a generation. Jesus taught by example. Jesus, I've said it before, you need to get it hard into your spirit. You need to let it write upon the tablets of the flesh of your heart. 
He never did one thing as God who happens to be man. He did everything as a man who happened to be God. So that when he did those things, he could say, you can do these things also. Because if he did them as God, we couldn't do them. Look at your neighbor and tell him, there's one sure thing in life you need to know. Actually, two. One, there is a God. Tell him. And two, you're not him. Those are the only two sure things in life. Jesus taught by example. Watch this. He never stopped teaching and he never stopped doing. How many knows Jesus taught but he also did? Until the last moment on earth he taught and he did. The church, listen to me, here's the problem with the church. Jesus led by example. While he was here on this earth, he taught and he did. He was our example. Here's the problem with the modern church. The church has continued to teach, but many have stopped doing. We have no shortage of teachers, but we have a great shortage of doers. We have people who hear the word, but very few people who are doing the word. What is truly important to God is revealed by what he was teaching until his last moment before he ascended. I've talked about famous last words before. When you know it's your last words, some people don't get a chance to know it's their last words because they're killed instantly. They die of a heart attack instantly. They don't know. But if you are given the opportunity in this life to know that in a matter of moments you will breathe your last breath, you are very intentional with what you are saying. You are not talking about recruiting on your favorite college football team. I promise you, you are not talking about wonder if somebody got the grass cut. You're not complaining about your offense at your pastor or somebody's, somebody, what somebody said about you at church. You are calling your family in. You are speaking things to, into their lives. That you understand that in a matter of moments you shall breathe your last breath and be gone. And they'll have your life to remember, but the one thing they'll never forget is the last things you said to them. The Bible says up until the moment that he lifted up off this earth, he taught and he did. Watch this. The things that were pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Everything Jesus taught was the kingdom of God. He taught his kingdom. Why did he teach the kingdom? Why did he come off the mountain uh, when he fought the devil for 40 days after he'd been baptized by John and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everywhere he went, he preached about the kingdom. He'd say the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that did this. He would teach parables, the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere he went is the kingdom. When he stood before Pilate, when he stood before the judges, they asked him about his kingdom. When they nailed him on a cross, they put a thing above his head. He, king of the Jews, are y'all hearing me? Everything was about the king. He's known as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Why was it that even after he died, even after he shed his blood, even after he was resurrected, he walked around for 40 days continuing to teach the very things he taught even before his death? The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Why? 
Because of anything he wanted us to get, he wanted us to be reminded that we are kings in a kingdom. Don't let the narrative of the devil make you forget what I said about you in that garden. That is my will over you, that you would have dominion, that you would walk in dominion. Well, I'm a woman. You're talking about a man. Wait a minute. The Bible says male and female created he them and called them Adam. The spirit of man and woman has the same authority. That's why it drives me crazy that people can pull one scripture out, Paul talking about the order in a local house of women yelling across the, the, the aisle to their husbands asking questions about what Paul was preaching and build an entire doctrine, think they need to improve on God's plan that a woman can't preach the gospel. But yet it was a woman that he showed up to first. But my God, the first person that ever knew that he was alive and told people that the resurrection had happened was a woman. And the first, the first, my God, I wish I had a church. The first command to that woman was, listen, don't touch me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go, go and tell my disciples that I'm coming to them. He told that woman, go take the good news and tell those sissified men that's hiding behind, won't even come to my tomb, won't even come out here. How are you going to improve on God's model? Mary, the mother of Jesus, whose womb he came out of, is listed in the book of Acts as being one of the 120 seeking the Holy Ghost. She is named in the Bible that she was one of the 120. Jesus' mama became a preacher. You going to try to tell me? That any of the 120 didn't preach the gospel? How are you not going to preach the gospel when you look around a room and you, you waited out everybody? You waited out all the complainers. You were, you were one of the last ones that was in unity in the vision of what the command from God. And you ain't going to take everything that God took. I'm telling you, all 120 came out of that room preaching the gospel. And that included his own mama. Wait a minute, How could what was the gospel that, that Mary preached? The same gospel that Peter preached. The same gospel that John preached. Oh, come on, somebody. There ain't one gospel for Mary and another gospel for James. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, while some of y'all trying to make her out to be holy on her own, Mary was up in that room saying, I need the same Holy Ghost that Peter needs. Oh, I didn't deny him before the rooster crowed. I, I gave birth to him. The angel said, I had found favor above all women, but I still need the Holy Ghost. I still. Oh!
Y'all ain't going to let me preach for another 30 minutes. Here's something else that Mary needed. Mary knew. Let me tell you, if there was anybody that could have sit at home at the kitchen table and sip coffee and watch the upper room online, come on, somebody. It would have been holy unto God, Mary. But Mary said, oh, I got to be in the gathering. Oh, I got to be with the brothers and the sisters. Oh, that screen ain't good enough for me. I got to get to the same place that everybody else is at. I need what they need. Oh, you're going to improve on God's model. Oh, you're going you're gonna to say that ain't what God really intended. You're going to sit around your kitchen table, and you're going to eat you a little muffin, and you're going to sip on you a cup of coffee, and y'all going to have a little church experience. Spotify playing in the background. And you're improving on the model. Come on and come on at me. Come on. Bring it. All you're going to do in the comment section when you try to debate what I just said is tell on yourself. Oh, you can drink coffee at your house? You can watch, you can watch preaching on TV? And listen, if you're sick, thank God it's there. Thank God the technology is available. But I guarantee you, if any of those ones that was in that upper room had a choice, like you have a choice, they would never choose their kitchen table. They would choose the gathering. Because I don't care how anointed you think your house is, and it might be so anointed, it might be people walking in your house and fall out in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You can't get in your house what you can get in His house. Now, you can get in his house the same Holy Ghost. He's, serious, he's there with you. Don't, don't twist my words. That the power of God and miracles and salvation and everything that happens in this house can't happen in your house. I'm just talking about the Bible said one can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand. Huh? When you take that math, you get up to three and four and five and ten and twenty and a hundred. My God, you're in a place where if you allow the devil to set you free, there ain't no devil in hell be able to survive when you're in a church, in a gathering that's got the hope. I got hurt. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you can't improve on what God created. Now watch this. So he tells them, I need you to go. He gives them specific directions. Go to Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Father. He goes on to say, and I'm not going to preach it today because I've preached it a thousand times and you know it. You shall be endued with power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You are already powerful. Demons have already been subject to you, disciples, in my name. Remember they came back and said, the blinded eyes opened. The lame walked. Demons were subject to, to us in your name. But you ain't never known anything what I'm trying to tell you is coming. So you don't let nobody convince you that you need to leave. You stay until you know it has happened. Well, how are we going to know it's happened? Trust me, you'll know. How many knows you know something happened when you look around a room and you see physical fire sitting on people's heads? 
That wasn't a top and shadow, man. It says, and there appeared. There appeared cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They looked around the room, and all 120 had literal fire burned on top of their heads. Now watch this. He said, go, and don't leave the place. And it says, I'll just read it to you because I want you to hear what he says. Being assembled together with them. I want to stop right there and say this. He gave them the model. He assembled together with them. He said, here's my model. I don't want to sit up on a throne by myself and you not be with me. I came down here to be with you. I want you to desire to be with me. And the way you're with me is when you assemble. Assemble together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. You're still with me. But to wait for the promise of the Father. You have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I'm going to skip over some stuff here to get to this. I want to tell you what. One of the things that you need to know is this. One of the ways you can understand Scripture is this. And it's a simple way, and it might, it's probably not theologically sound. It's probably, and when I say that, I mean seminaries would probably never teach this. This is just the way country boys learn the Scripture sometimes. Is a lot of times when I want to know what a Scripture means, instead of trying to figure out what it's saying, I try to figure out what I know it's not saying. And when, I've, and when I've emphatically eliminated what I know it's not saying, it's easier for me to know what it is saying. Mm-hmm. In other words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, we know, we know it's not saying that there'll be some people that believes in him, but they won't get saved. It's very simple. It's very simple. You take the simplicity of what is being said, you eliminate what is not being said, and you, most of the time, you still have to dig deep into it, but most of the time, you're left with an easier route to what it's saying. And sometimes, I study scripture, I will try to find out if God is implying anything. If there's any way that this and what I've heard this means can even be implied in this. And I'll say, well, that can't even be implied in it. Now watch this. It is never implied that in the command to go to Jerusalem, in any way, shape, or form, it is never implied. You guys go your separate ways. Y'all have a bunch of little small groups in your house. Get you some cake and some chips and salsa. And y'all play some background music. And y'all go sit around and talk. And y'all just sort of chill. And then you'll receive the promise of the Father. It was never implied that. It was certainly implied. Wherever you end up, I want you all to be together. Right? Now we know they were not in a church. They were in a home. And the home 
had an upper room, a large upper room. So this wasn't some small house. It takes 120 people we know ended up in that upper room receiving the Holy Ghost. But before that, there was thousands gathered and hundreds at least by that time that was whittled down in a week. So we don't know if they started out in an upper room. We don't know if they started out in the street because the crowd was too big. We don't know. But we do know this, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place. In one accord. We do know that. It's never implied that they were in multiple places. It's never implied that they were looking at their smartphones, trying to watch, catch a little bit while something else is going on in the background, distracted. Here's, I'm not mad and I'm not against streaming at home, but I'm telling you somebody needs to tell you the truth. I don't care how intentional you are. You are never all in. There's too many distractions. You cannot be. But they were all in one place. We, we know that. Somebody shout, we know that. And then when they got to that place, they were told, do not leave that place until you receive the promise of the Father. Now, skipping ahead in the story, we know what happened. Spoiler alert. The Holy Ghost fell. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. They danced. They shout. The Holy Ghost hopped. They did the helicopter. They did the chicken. They, they started acting up like somebody would act up on the, on the dance floor at the club. In the morning. In the morning time. How do you know that? Because the Bible said the people in the street heard them and saw them. And heard the rumblings. Maybe he peeked in the door and looked at him. Said, them jokers are so drunk. Peter had to stand up, get his megaphone. Get his microphone if he had one. Stand out where everybody can see. These men and women are not drunk as you suppose. This is that. The prophet Joel spoke up. Come on, help me. Now, now watch this. They had a Holy Ghost service. See, some of y'all freak out if our church goes to 1 o'clock. They had a six-hour church service. At the end of six hours, they had received what no human beings had ever received. Isaiah had never received it. Moses had never received it. David had never received it. Maybe Adam understood it, but probably not even appreciating it the way these 120 did. But no post-Adam person had ever experienced what not just Peter experienced, not just Mary the mother of Jesus experienced, not just the disciples experienced, but a bunch of unnamed, unknown people to this day that were just regular people that wasn't big enough in the church to have a book in their name. Not even a story about their acts that they do. But yet, what happened to them in that room was the same thing that happened to everyone in that room. There was no, this one got a little bit more and this one got a little bit less. They all got the same Holy Ghost. Pastor Larry ain't got no Holy Ghost that you don't have access to. 
We don't serve uh, seven billion versions of the Holy Ghost that would come on seven billion people. Holy Ghost is a person of the Godhead. He is one. He divides himself severally as he wills. Is this good preaching? Now watch this. I'm almost through. He made it clear that the equipping for the church would be launched in a gathering. Now you say anything you want to say about what happened when they came out because the Bible does talk about they go to house and breaking bread. But by the way, no one ever reads the rest of it. It says daily they went to the house breaking bread and they still went to the temple. It literally, the same verse says they still went to the temple. It doesn't mean, some people have taken that, well, we don't need the church. We don't, I am the church, so I'm going to break bread in the house. Well, okay, break bread in the house, but still go to the temple. Because that's what the early church did. All right, stay with me. So, if God never needs improvement on his model, then who in the world ever thought that God had given them permission to decide in a modern culture, yeah, I know we can adjust tactics. I know we can adjust delivery methods. You adjust that with culture. I've always given the example of when I was a little boy, you know, I was born on Elvis Presley's birthday. So I was raised on Elvis Presley. I still love Elvis Presley. I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. But I've heard every Elvis Presley song ever known to man because my mother was literally the greatest Elvis fan I'd ever known to this day of my life. She trained me on Elvis. She took me to church and she took me to Elvis. Those were, the, those were my foundation stones. Sing, singing, singing, singing praise at church and coming home and listening to Elvis. And the first time I ever heard Hound Dog, I heard Hound Dog on a 33 record. Then I heard Hound Dog later on as I got older on what's called a 45. Some of y'all don't even know what those are. 33, then a 45. And then I heard Hound Dog on something that some of y'all definitely ain't going to know what it is called an 8-track tape. Y'all remember them, don't you? Man, I'll tell you what, that click that would happen, sometimes it clicked right in the middle of the song and you'd be rocking out the journey or something, you know. Don't stop. Believe it. If y'all didn't live through it, y'all don't know. Then the, ne then the next time I heard Hound Dog, I heard it on a cassette tape. And if y'all ain't never struggled with always keeping a pencil so you can rewind that thing, let me know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the old, old folks get this now. Old folks shot me down. Have rewind that thing with a pencil. Y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand the pain of when you're riding down the road and you are jamming to your favorite cassette tape and all of a sudden you hear You're like, no! And you take it out real quick, and you just, it just keeps coming. How many of them you And then if you live like I live, because you didn't have no money to buy another one, you try to find the place where it broke. Come on, y'all. And tape it back together. And roll it back up, knowing from now on, when it gets to that part of the song, you're going to just deal with it. It's going to go, and it will kick back in. 
Then I heard Hound Dog on a CD. Then I heard Hound Dog on an MP3. Now I could stream Hound Dog. It's the same song, same recording, same words, same message, different delivery. See, where we messed up is we tried to change the message with the new delivery. God ain't got no problem with a new delivery as long as you ain't got a new message. You, you know why you ain't got no problem with the delivery? Because the delivery method is man's creation. The message is his. You can improve on your delivery method, but you can't improve on what you're supposed to be delivering. It's 11.45 if you're taking medicine. Take that pill now. We want you all to take that pill. Want nothing to happen to you. The church was birthed in a gathering. How are you going to tell God now that he got a problem with gathering? In fact, Hebrews even says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, even the more so, watch this, even the more so as you see that day approaching. As you get closer to the return of Christ, you need to be in church more than you've ever been in church in your life. Somebody shout, yeah! Oh, yeah, I'm winding down, winding down, winding down. Mm -hmm. Now, watch this. I'm going to close with this. Now, that's, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. But I want to rewind a little bit back to chapter 1. Knowing what we just said about chapter 2, the birth of the church, I want to rewind back. To when Jesus was giving his last words, his last commands before he disappeared in the clouds. He told them, he gave them instructions, go to Jerusalem. Don't leave till you shall receive the promise of the Father. You'll be witnesses unto me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But as we rewind back, I want you to hear what was said at the, at the ascension of Jesus. Verse 9, chapter 1 says this. Now, when he had spoken these things, what I just said that he had spoken, while they watched, can you imagine? He was taken up. This was not just a Hollywood movie. This was real deal, y'all. His feet lifted up off the ground, and he just started ascending right in front of them. How in the world could you not believe in that Jesus? But some of the very people that saw him disappear in the clouds turned on him. Unbelievable. But watch this. He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, we know these men were angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus, somebody say same Jesus 
the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I want to close to you and I want to tell you the two most dangerous things. Why God has taken us full circle. Why God has taken the body of Christ full circle. To expose two of the most dangerous amendments and so-called improvements on doctrine that man has done. And this is it. Because remember, if you know you're about to say your last words, you're going to be intentional. Now watch this. Do you know the angels didn't say anything that they wouldn't give them permission to say? How many knows they already knew because God had already prepared them. Now listen, when I disappear, I need you to make sure that they know this. I don't want them just to remember that I'm going away. I want them on the day that I went away to remember I'm coming back. Okay? The two most dangerous things that preachers and theologians think that they have found Scripture to support, and some of them are very, very convincing, that they have removed from doctrine are the two very things that Jesus himself addressed in his very last words here on this earth. And let me tell you something, there ain't no way in this world you're going to make me believe that as intentional and as knowledgeable as Jesus was of knowing how powerful his last words on this earth would be. He never ever dreamed. It was never his intention for any so-called preacher to ever one day say that those words were only for the people standing on that mountain. There's no way. There's no way the God that came to die for the sins of the world is going to leave this world with commandments to a few hundred people. So we've already covered one. One is the power of the Holy Ghost. Just before he ascends this earth, off of this earth, and ascends to heaven, he says, listen, it's very, very important. Everything that I've taught you, everything that I've said to you, has prepared you for this moment. I'm going up there, and I'm about to sit down at the right hand of my Father. When he gets ready, he's going to send you his promise, which is our breath and our spirit. And you cannot be the church without what is happening. So don't leave Jerusalem till it happens. And then he makes it very clear, does he not? He doesn't just say, until you feel like you had a great church service. Here's how you'll know what I'm talking about is happening. You will be endued with power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. You will feel the urge to be my hands and feet, to be my mouthpiece. Everything will change. Right? You with me? But then the next thing he says, he tells the angels, says, listen. As important as it is for them to know about the first start of the church. Remember, he determines the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. This is deep, y'all. You ready? In one, in one moment, in a matter of minutes, he established his will for the beginning of the church and his will for the end of the church. He said, I'm going to tell you something, what's going to happen in you, and you don't even know it. 
you will be the first dispensation of something known as the church age. And it will be endued with power. It is my will that as long as the church exists, that the power of the Holy Ghost exists within that church. Because remember, God doesn't need improvement. And certainly we don't improve on God by taking away things that God did. We have preachers who spend entire conferences. Thousands of people pay and register for this conference. There's one particular conference I think let me think of. It's every year. It's a conference that they bring in big time speakers, and people pay a lot of money to go to this conference. Thousands of people go to this church in the church one of a church in this country, and the whole conference is called Strange Fire, and it is all. Every morning session, every evening session is teaching those thousands of people about how we are all full of the devil and how the gifts of the Spirit died off with the apostles. We are all confused and we are being moved by a spirit of confusion and delusion. They're being equipped to go out and tell the world, if you listen to anyone that is Pentecostal or charismatic, you are listening to a demonic doctrine because it is emotionalism and blah, blah, blah. It is not of God. I'm talking about a conference. They have taken nitpicking scriptures. They've nitpicked, cherry-picked these scriptures. And they've built a doctrine on the removal of the Holy Ghost. You know why most of them have, have, have teach that? The early fathers, that church fathers that took out the power of the Holy Ghost is because they didn't experience the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you don't experience something, you think it ain't real. Well, I, I, I didn't prepare this, this analogy here, but all I can think of is, I mean, I've, I've never felt the exhilaration of jumping out of an airplane. I probably won't ever. I, but I've learned to never say never. I might get a wild hair one day when I'm somewhere preaching. They go, come on, let's go jump out of an airplane. Let's do it in Jesus' name. I mean, I have no idea. But I've never experienced it, but I can pretty much think it's pretty exhilarating, probably pretty frightening, probably institutes your prayer life again as you pray over that string. I'm just saying, just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it ain't real. Because billions have experienced it billions trillions if you if you add up all the people in the history of humanity the largest church in the world the only church in the world that is growing in number is the Pentecostal church every other church is regressing in numbers but all around the world the Pentecostal church is exploding because people are looking for something supernatural they don't they're not looking for something dead they've already got that I'm almost through they removed the power of from, from doctrine, the power of God from doctrine. And then they removed the rapture, the return of Christ. Which is the end of the dispensation of the church. The earth will continue and people that are left here will realize that they know the gospel and they didn't live their life for God, they'll be left and there'll be people saved during the tribulation period. But the local church gathering 
will be outlawed by the Antichrist. The, the freedom that we have to do what we're doing now, to worship in a gathering corporately, will be gone at the rapture. So, God said, I want to show you in one thing. While I'm here on this earth, I'm going to tell you the start of the church. I'm going to tell you that's going to start with the power of the Holy Ghost. And you, please don't ever take the Holy Ghost out of the church. And then I want you to know, I'm going to tell the angels, and the angels are going to help you. Because he's, he didn't just say, one day you're going to get to be with him. How I many of those, it would have still been awesome for them to say, why stand you gazing uh, as he disappears? Don't worry, when you die, you'll get to go be with him. You'll get to go to heaven. That's a great promise. But he says, for in like manner, as you see him go away, so shall he come again. Now, when you get real deep, it says a cloud took him away. The book of Hebrews tells us, behold, we are, we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. Let's don't forget that the Bible says that when he came back from the dead, that many of the tombs of the Old Testament prophets were opened as well. And many of the Old Testament saints during those 40 days were seen walking with him. See, used to when you died, you went down to a place called Abraham's bosom. It's called Sheol. Hell. But not the hell fire, but hell meaning the grave. There was a great divide between Sheol, hell, Abraham's bosom, and the lake of fire, hell. Are y'all hearing me? We, we know that story in the, in the rich man and Lazarus and other examples. Well, the Bible said he that ascended is also he that first but descended, first into the lower parts of the earth. So while his body laid in the tomb, he wasn't in the tomb. He went down into Abraham's bosom. He walked into Abraham's bosom. He showed himself to Moses. He showed himself to Solomon. He showed himself to David. He said, listen, all y'all been preaching about me. All y'all been waiting on me. The Bible said, then he said, hold up, be right back. The Bible says, this is in your Bible. He kicks the gates of hell open, goes in and makes an open show of the devil, takes the keys of death, hell, and the grave. All of this is going on while his body's in the tomb. Wait up, wait, hold up, hold up. Y'all ain't heard the best part yet. So if that's the case, if when we die now, we don't go down, we go to the throne, guess what? Everybody that was in Abraham's bosom, all of the thousands, millions, if you will, before that moment that was in Abraham's bosom had to come out of Abraham's bosom. And now it's known as paradise around the throne of God when John saw it. So when Jesus ascended up to heaven, my God, nobody wants to preach about this. All of the Old Testament saints ascended with him. My God, it was a cloud of witnesses. And he said, for in like manner, as 
you see him go away, so shall you see him come again. And when the day comes, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus comes back, sets his foot back on the same mountain that he left it off of, sets one foot in the water and declares that time will be no more. The Bible said he's not coming by himself. He's coming back with all of the host of heaven. Are y'all hearing me? The same way he went out is the same way he went in. Full circle, baby. Somebody get on your feet and shout unto God. It's not a mystery. It's written in plain English right in front of you. Preacher, it's the hope. The rapture is the hope. Stop this mess saying that the Lord wants to put His judgment on His people. It's reserved for the enemies of God. The people of God. I'm telling you, I believe it. I don't care if you believe it or not. and That's, your, that's not a salvation issue. But in this church, we're going to preach and teach that Jesus in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 says, Come up hither and let me show you the things which must be hereafter. And that was after the end of the church of Laodicea, which is the church that we are today. The lukewarm church. It's neither hot nor cold. To make God spit and vomit. Disgust Him. What the world calls the church now. But there's a remnant. Ooh, I look around this room right now and I can see them. Yeah, have y'all noticed this place filling up every week? Have you noticed seeing less and less places to sit? Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Because word's getting out. I don't know, I don't know if those two sisters are here. Are those two ladies here that showed up Wednesday night? Are y'all here? Y'all, what a blessing y'all are. What, can y'all wave? I don't mean to embarrass y'all. I want y'all to see these two ladies. Let me tell you why they're here today. And if I get this wrong, you tell me I got it wrong because I don't want to butcher when I met them at the end of Wednesday night Bible study, they came to Wednesday night Bible study. And I shook their head and talked to them and told them I was the pastor. They told me, they, this is what they said, whether it's true or not. Y'all was driving around trying to find a church that was open on Wednesdays. Is that right? And they, they, they didn't know nobody in this house. They, they, saw, they saw cars in the parking lot and something pulled them in here. My God, they walked in, rang the doorbell and said, are y'all having church? We're having Bible study. They, they, one of them had the little baby in the arms and said, can we bring the baby in? Come on. They went into Bible study. My God came out smiling from ear to ear saying, this is what we're looking for. We'll be there Sunday morning. There is a hunger. There is a hunger. And they're in the house of God today. Let me tell you, for every one of those two sisters, there's there's more. There's more. They're looking. They're hungry. They want the real thing. They want to find a church that's still Holy Ghost filled. They want to find a church that still has hope. That's still... I wish somebody shout, yeah! Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, if there's anybody in this place right now that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that has never been born again, that has never asked you to forgive them of their sins that come in their heart, God, move upon them to run to this altar right now. Run to this altar right now. Run to this altar right now. If there's somebody in this room who has backslidden away from God, turned away from God, but they feel God pulling them with a sense of urgency, and they got to get their heart right with God, run to this altar right now. Run to this altar. I'm not going to beg you for five minutes.